Hello, and welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. Here you'll find conversations, practices, teachings, musings, all sorts of goodies, um, just to deepen your own awareness, knowledge, self-inquiry. These are things that we're really passionate about, about over here in the Lola community. Um, we are really a hybrid community. We offer live events and retreats in the Washington, D.C. area. And then we also have online communities, this podcast, of course, and other supportive resources. If you go to the newly revamped and revised lolacommunity.com, you will find everything you need to learn more about us. But more importantly, we have offered you the resource section. So go to lolacommunity.com and click on resources. There you will find yoga practices. You will find access to our self-compassion challenge. You will find access to my book, Delight, and also Plan to Thrive, the ultimate time and energy management guide. So lots of goodies for you guys to help you deepen your own inner life, to connect to other soul sisters in our community and beyond, and just to really inspire and uplift your everyday life. So we hope you enjoy and please remember to share, share, share. For small communities like ours, the most important thing is authentic sharing and engagement. We love to know the members of our community. So sharing podcast episodes with your friends or loved ones, um, sharing links to our writing or our community retreats, all of that really does matter in terms of strengthening our community and being able to really find the women who want to do this kind of work. So thank you in advance for being such an advocate for your own healing, your own well-being, and your own deep self-care. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. And today I'm here with one of the founders of the Holistic Life Foundation. Hey, Ali. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Um, I'm great. I'm so excited to talk with you about the past few years for you guys. I'm on your website and it's just amazing. I just want to take a minute to honor how awesome you guys are and spreading these teachings. Um, just watching you guys grow that first year at the kids yoga conference, you guys were speakers and five years later, almost six years later, um, you guys are still at it and really making an impact. So tell everyone a little about the history of the organization and take your time so that you can bring us up to speed into what you're doing now. Gotcha. So, um, Atman is my brother and he's my brother from another um, and <laughs> my foundation fresh out of college. Um, I think at the time uh, we were looking for answers for what we were going to do with the rest of our lives. And we weren't really sure what we were going to do or how we were going to do it. And um, I mean, we went to University of Maryland College Park. Uh, at the time we were, we, we were partying a lot. I mean, you still went to class and everything, but we were very social. So you would see us house parties and any other random place there was something social going on and like as we started like when I and I connected with Andy um like the the partying like we we would hang but then we would start talking about life and the world and 
what else there was out here, or what else there was inside of us, just things along, along those lines. And um, our partying literally turned into a book club. Like we would just start hanging and reading and watching documentaries um, at, a, at my place um, for what seemed like, like that, that was how we spent most of our time. We were going to all the little small obscure books, I mean, libraries on campus and getting books on like spirituality and religion and philosophy and astronomy and astrology and ancient history and just trying to find more information and get more answers to what else was going on in this human experience. Mm-hmm. And um, the more we read, the more questions we had. It wasn't like we were solving anything. We were just getting more and more questions <laughs> and more and more information. Yeah. Which is, you know what I mean? It's kind of frustrating. You I mean, like we were expecting to like research, get some answers and figure out a better way to live than the whole, um, you know, graduate from college, get a job, get married, have some kids, retire and die. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that just didn't sit well with us. And then it also seemed like there was a lot of suffering on the planet. Uh, people um, weren't really showing a lot of love to each other uh, or the planet. And uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of things were suffering because of it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem like anyone was doing anything about it. I mean, from our closed college perspective, it didn't seem like anything, anyone was doing anything about it. So, um, I don't know, I felt like we, we felt like we wanted to do, like, for, first we wanted more answers, then we wanted to do something about all these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like a lot of what we read was talking about going within the finances, going within the finances. And um, we didn't really know what that meant. I mean, Otten and I grew up in, in Baltimore, in West Baltimore in particular, and uh, we grew up with parents who were yogis. So our dad would med- make me and my brother meditate every morning before school. And he was heavily in the hatha at that point. My mom was in the Ayurvedic cooking and um, like we were vegan. There was no salt or sugar in the house. Like it was like a, a really weird um, dichotomy. You know what I mean? Like we were, we were in West Baltimore in the, in the 80s and we were like vegans, you know what I mean? And like practicing yoga and meditation. So like no one else was really doing it around us. Um, so, but we got out of, the thing was we got out of our practice when our parents got divorced. So but that was when I was in like sixth grade and I and was in, um, the uh, I guess I was in the fourth grade, so we, we that was when our meditation practice stopped. Right. So, like, people were talking about going inward, like, that didn't register us, it didn't click because we hadn't meditated or, or gone within in so long. Mm-hmm. So, my dad's best, me and Atman's godfather, was one of those people that got into yoga in like the mid 60s and never ever got out of it. Um, so he was like a wealth of knowledge. And my brother's found a book at his place on yoga, uh, like an old Kundalini yoga book. And was like, wow, yoga does all this stuff. He's like, yeah, he's like, well, we want to learn this. Maybe this might help us happen in these answers that are within, inside of us. And he was like, cool, I'll teach y'all, but you guys have to agree to teach it. It's like, if I dump all this information on you, you can't just sit on it. Like, you guys got to go out and share it yeah. with everyone. You know what I mean? So, and he also told me to be there at 4 a.m. to go practice with him the next morning. So, yeah, exactly. And this was after, like, that evening we were watching NBA playoff games and drinking beer. So it wasn't like, it was like, 8 p.m. and we were going to go turn in. It was like 10.30 and we were like a couple six-pack deep at that point. So it was like that, <laughs> like being up at his place at four in the morning ready to practice. But I mean, we jumped on it and um, we started to learn. Um, practice started off very uh, physical. You know what I mean? We started off with like yeah. Hatha and, you know, and Kundalini. Um, then it kept, it got more and more subtle. So we went into Pranayama and uh, different forms of meditation and like any and everything. Um, I mean, because he was always one of those people that was like, you, I want you, you guys should be able to, he wants, he wants us to be able to teach anyone. Mm-hmm. 
And he was like, the same practices you use for one group. Like you couldn't walk into a pre-K class in West Baltimore and teach the same thing that you teach at a high school, at a private school in North Baltimore, mm-hmm. and then go to the same place like a drug treatment center and teach the same thing in a senior facility. You know what I mean? Like you need different practices for different groups of people. So he wanted to make sure we had a really broad spectrum and a big toolbox so we can go and help everybody. So we got deep into our practice. We spent most of our time in practice. We started the Holistic Life Foundation. We weren't sure what we were going to do. And uh, at this time, me and Atman and Andy moved back to the neighborhood that me and Atman grew up in in West Baltimore. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was rough being there. I mean, just because it was like it was a shell of itself. It wasn't what me and Atman were used to when we grew up there, uh, only because, like, crack hit really hard in Baltimore and a lot of other and a, and a lot of places. So it was like uh, it killed like the community and the love and the connection that was there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the homeowners left was renters. A lot of the houses were boarded up. So, um, but we were living there and we were in our, deep into our practice and our friends would come visit us. And uh, we were, you know, maybe college graduates, we didn't have jobs. We were starting a business. We were clearly broke. Um, we were living in one of the most violent neighborhoods in Baltimore. And, but we had this sense of inner happiness and inner peace about us. And our friends couldn't get it. They were like, why are you all so happy? Like, y'all are broke. Y'all live in the hood. Like, y'all have no reason to be happy. And we were looking at them like, you've got a really good job. You've got how it's like, you live in a nice neighborhood and you're miserable. So obviously something is going on here. And uh, yeah, so it was just talking back and forth and like with, with ourselves, like, all right, well, we got to, you know, share these practices with people. And we got the opportunity to run an after-school program for uh, 15 fifth-grade boys that they wanted us to teach uh, football to. This was in, like, the, at the end of 20, 2001, beginning of 2002. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of grew from there. I think five years ago when you, when we connected, mm-hmm. uh, we were still, it was still just Op and Andy and I pretty much doing everything, like the administrative yeah. work, the programmatic work and uh, trying to hustle and do every single thing we could. Um, and at that point, we're still, I think we're still working on the weekends at uh, mm-hmm. a mental crisis facility to kind of help, help pay the bills, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then uh, from there, uh, things have grown a lot since then. Our program staff is around 40 now, and our administrative staff is around 10. Um, we're working nationally and internationally and all across Baltimore and the surrounding counties. Um, Op and Andy and I are actually in the office all the time now. I'm our, I'm our executive director. Andy's our director of marketing and Op our director of development. Uh, so we, we're wearing different hats and things look a little different. But, I mean, we're helping more people. So if us being in the office gives us the opportunity to help more people and serve more people, then that's what it's going to take for us. to. That's what we'll keep doing and be happy about it. Um, I really need to know what it was like to be growing up in the eighties with these yogis and Ayurvedic cooking and all of this in West Baltimore. Like, did you like, were you turning away from it? Did you roll your eyes? Were you like, what was that like? <laughs> so, um, I mean, there were a couple of reasons that we were very, very into it. Um, one, I don't think we knew any better. Um, mm. like I, I mean, in our home, we didn't know any better. Like basement, was one of those like in, in a lot in a lot of row homes in Baltimore they have like the knotty pine basements with like the walls the built-in mm-hmm. ball. So like mm-hmm. there's pictures of before we were born. Because the house my mom grew up in as well. My grandfather hosting parties down there. But when we were born, it was turned into like an altar and like a meditation and yoga area. So that's what we knew. 
I remember not meditating in the morning. I don't remember not going downstairs for Saturday morning cartoons and my dad like being in the headstand as we walked past him in the living room. Like uh, we grew up in a self-realization fellowship church, uh, the Divine Life Church of Absolute Oneness. Wow. And um, you know what I mean? Like ch church started with meditation. There were incense burning, there were crystals in the window. We learned from all religions. So it was like, it was normal, but also we, me and my brother obviously knew it wasn't normal because we were in West Baltimore and no one else we knew was doing any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So we hid it outside of our home as much as possible. Like we didn't want our friends to know that all that right. weird stuff. You know what I mean? Some of it would leak out. Like in Baltimore, like snowball stands are huge. Like it's a big thing, like snowball stands. Like everybody goes to snowball stands. They open up all over the city in the summer. And like um, since we couldn't have sugar, like our mom would make us bring our snow, uh, the ice home and she would pour like all natural apple juice and orange juice <laughs> over them. So we're going back outside, dull brown or dull orange. Snowballs, the friends all have all these bright colors and they're like wearing them. What in the hell is wrong with these two? What's going on here? Like this doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think our parents did a good job of helping us keep a sense of normalcy outside of our home, but inside of our home was a lot different than, uh, than anyone else that we knew we were growing up with. Uh, I think my kids would probably like to have a conversation with you about how <laughs> they're growing up. You guys could probably relate in a lot of ways. Um, okay, so can we talk about Baltimore for a minute? And then I have some other like questions I want to get into about the work. But I, all of the sudden in the past, I would say six months, I read Chris Wilson's book. Do you know who he is? Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but it, he was in, he grew up in DC, but he was in prison for many years um, and has been released from prison and wrote a book um, called Master Plan. That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. And became an artist and an entrepreneur and is in Baltimore. So I read his um, biography and, um, and then shortly uh -oh, after, I just read, can you hear me now? Is that okay? Um, I just read Quentin Venny's um, book also, which is about yoga and healing. And he's in Baltimore and grew up in Baltimore. And then I saw this article, I think it was this week, about um, Baltimore and the history of the crime. Um, because I guess the mayor uh, was corrupt again and took a bunch of money. Do you know anything about this? I've heard about it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the point is that all of a sudden, like in my personal life, and of course I've been, I follow you guys and, um, the work that you've been doing have really had my eyes on Baltimore from a sociological perspective. What's going, what do you think is at the heart? Why can't we solve some of these problems? What's your impact in Baltimore and what's your perspective about the dynamics in Baltimore? All right. Um, I've lost, your connection was going in and out and I couldn't really hear uh, what your question was. It's about, there's all of these pieces that have been coming Hello? up over and over. Can you hear? No. I'm gonna connect to a different, different Wi-Fi. Okay, so what I was saying is that, is that there was, there has been like an influx in, in just in my world, maybe it's not, maybe this is also just what I attract because this is what I read and I'm interested in. But there has been a lot um, of conversation and dialogue about Baltimore specifically as a unique place um, that is, is continuing to have a lot 
of turmoil and suffering and trauma. Now, yes, we have this all over the place, but what do you think, I mean, I just know that you guys are doing so much great work in Baltimore. What do you think, are there any specific dynamics around Baltimore specifically? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with like a lot of intergenerational issues. Mm. Um, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma that people here are dealing with. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of intergenerational poverty that people are here like, are dealing with, a lot of intergenerational violence. And I don't think, I think like a lot of the same solutions are being used and have been used here for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they're clearly not working if the same cycles are happening over and over and over again. Um, yeah. I think we're, what we're trying to do is give people tools to deal with all those things. And um, not something outside of themselves or not something that someone else has control over, but something that they have control over and that's within them. Um, the way that we teach has always been using a reciprocal teaching model and making everyone an instructor. Like our teacher made us, made us teachers, so we try to make everyone we come in contact with teachers too. Mm -hmm. um, they have power with the practice and they know how to use it and when to use it in their own lives. And they're more likely to see someone else suffering and share it with them too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like you might live in a, you might live in a, in, in a certain neighborhood um, you might, your home might be chaotic, your school might be chaotic, your neighborhood life might be chaotic. Um, you might not be eating the best food, you might live in a food desert. You might, be, you might be dealing with trauma inside of the home, outside of the home. Mm -hmm. But if you, and, and, and some people, if you have the right amount of resources, you can go escape, you can go on vacation, you can go to a retreat center, you can go to a therapist, like just, just resources out there for you. But for some people, there's no resources, you're just stuck in it. But if you can give people a place inside of them, where they can go find inner peace, they can go, always go back to whenever they want to. Yeah. That's empowering. That changes their life, changes their whole perspective on everything. How do you guys talk about or work with schools or administrators or school districts around the outcomes of that? I know that that's been a challenge for a lot of our, um, a lot of my friends who bring this, these programs into the schools and who work with trainers and trainings and this, the whole world of accountability that we're in, when we're talking about individual outcomes that have to do with connection to source and spirit and relaxation, um, they're harder things to check off a checklist. So how do you guys talk about that or work with organizations talking about outcomes? Yeah, so it's something that we fought against for a long time because yeah. we were like, all right, these practices have been around for thousands of years. <laughs> Clearly work like why do we have to prove this to you you were like well you need some type of outcomes i'm like well we can look at our students and know that in september they're beating the crap out of each other and then by christmas everybody's meditating together and the place feels and looks a lot more calm like this is something that we can see and it's tangible like we can look and see like this is something that's happening um but you know i mean as we grew and as we um realized that funders weren't going to go for that. You need funding to be able to hire staff and run programs and uh, provide kids with services. Like we started looking at outcomes that, that, that funders cared about. We started looking yeah. at numbers. We started looking at referral numbers. We started looking at test scores. We started looking at um, attendance. We started looking at the um, school climate surveys. You know what I mean? Like we were looking at numbers that were very tangible. Yeah. And programs have effects on people and, and on entire school communities. So we started tracking all that data and um, the numbers were always positive. So we just kept, we just stuck with it. 
Yeah, I think you have to turn to that data to get the to get those grants and to get that funding. Um, but I've always it's always been a bit tricky because of the wisdom traditions being ancient, and we know when you've had that embodied experience, but you can't always go to a you know a grant meeting <laughs> and saying, "Well, I had an embodied experience." Um, what are you most proud of? Can you think of something like specific with the work that you guys have done that you feel really proud of? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the kids that we started off with in like 01, 02, uh, when they were in the fifth grade and they were quote unquote like the, the troublemakers. At, I mean, not quote unquote, they were the troublemakers at this school. <laughs> um, and the fact that a lot of them are our staff now mm -hmm. and they're out teaching in the community, they're out teaching like, and they've taught like internationally, like they've been, they've been out to Germany and Austria to teach. They spent a week in Lebanon to teaching. Uh, they've been all over the country. So like, they're not just affecting people here, mm. but they're affecting people around the planet. And like, just the fact that in fifth grade, like these were, these were, this was the first group we ever started with, you know what I mean? And now they're out there, there are, there are lead instructors. There are, there are senior teachers, like they're mm -hmm. like prog progressing and growing and like within the company and, and taking on different roles and leadership roles where they're not just yoga mindfulness instructors, they're our director of training, our director of our mentoring program, director of our after school program. So like they're, yeah, it, I think that's the, that's the proudest thing for me. Yeah. Um, what are you looking forward to? What do you guys have on your, your vision or your like strategic or long-term plan? What is exciting um, that might be coming up that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I think there's two big things for me. One is our satellite program. Um, we're looking to do some expansion and set up shop in a few other cities. Um, and the way it'll look is um, we'll send two of our senior staff to live in a city for an entire year. Wow. And while we're living there and doing programming, uh, we're, Andy and I will go there and train 18 to 24 year olds from the communities in that city. And uh, we'll train them. And while we're training them, we'll also shadow our staff during programming. And uh, throughout that year, they'll gain more and more experience. And also the other thing is they'll also develop a personal practice because a part of their job description yeah. practicing daily with our senior staff that are in that city. Um, so by the time that year is over, they have five to eight in year one, very, very highly trained, authentic staff members with their own personal practice who can go out. This program can continue and sustain. So you've got three places, uh, maybe four lined up Wow. For, and I think one of the places that's the coolest is a Mohawk reservation in upstate New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we're excited about that, excited about Nashville and Jacksonville and possibly Fort Lauderdale as well, uh, like the Brown County area. So wow. that's one thing that's really exciting is setting up shop in other places and giving our staff opportunities to live other places and train other people and help them develop a personal practice. And the other one is our uh, Bridging Academics in the Mind curriculum. It's like an online curriculum program where there's three parts to it. There's a, uh, there's a curriculum, obviously, and then there's uh, audio recordings and also animations like cartoons about and Andy and our teaching practices. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's pretty cool because we, we were always having issues with fidelity in schools, like trying to train teachers and them having too much on their feet, you know what I mean? And not maybe yep. learning to teach them the right way or being able to like figure out which practices to use when. So this way they can just push play and the, and the cartoon teaches the kids or the audio teaches the kids. This is a in the curriculum, it's a combination, like a, like a chart of what to use. So like if the class is wilding out after uh, lunch and you need to settle down, 
use this combination of practices. If it's it's testing time and everybody's a little high strung and can't focus, you use this combination of practices. If it's the morning and it's a Monday morning, it's rainy and everybody's energy's low, use this combination of practices. And then there's like the implementation model is pretty cool too because it starts off with uh, instructional videos, which goes over like what the benefits of the practice are, how to do the practice, and then you go there. Then from the instructional videos, the videos and audio, it goes to the uh, practice ones, where it's just <clears throat> describing the practice and they jump right into it. And the third phase is, again, back to that reciprocal teaching where the kids come up to the front, they're leading the practices and the teachers have cue cards to help them uh, to get through the practices if there's anything that they might mess up on. So again, it's always back to that reciprocal teaching, but it's a way to keep fidelity high and, uh, and make sure the practice, and, and make sure that we're not overwhelming the teachers because it's not what we want to be there for. Yeah. And make them think we're throwing something else on their plate. Like, no, you just, right. you just put it up on the Promethean board and you push play. We'll tell you when to use them, how to use them, how long to play them for, and you're straight. And also we teach the teachers how to use them for self-practice, I mean, self-care too. Mm -hmm. Like if you're having a rough day and you need to kind of just get back to center or relax a little bit, use this combination of practices for yourself when the kids aren't in the room and kind of hit the reset button on your day. Do you mostly work with individual schools or whole school districts? Combination of both. Both. Yes, yeah, combination of both. Um, okay, so those are all of the awesome things that are coming up. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the struggles that you've had to grow this amazing, I mean, I think this is unbelievable what you guys have done. It's so fantastic. I'm sure it wasn't always easy. So what about like personally or professionally? I mean, you're working very closely with your brother. Does that always work out? And what's the behind the scenes like? Uh, so I, I think the, the first part, the part about working with my brother, uh, growing up, my dad had two rules about us that we weren't allowed to like get, we weren't allowed to fight with each other. And if one of us came home with a black eye, we both better come home with a black eye. It was like that type of situation. You know what I mean? So like, we got, we've always gotten along. I mean, we, not too many brothers can, like we went, we shared a room until I was in the 11th grade. We lived together for a year in college because we both at the University of Maryland and we started a business together and haven't killed each other yet. You know what I mean? So obviously, <laughs> and actually we live in the same building now. Uh, we live in a, in a house that's been split into like a, three apartments and I live on the top floor. He lives on the first floor and one of our um, former, actually one of the kids from that first group uh, lives on the basement apartment. So yeah, I mean, that, that was, that's, that's never been an issue. I mean, of course, like, we're adults, we're brothers, we get in, like, I mean, we're going to have disagreements, but yeah. so far, so that's not a huge issue. Um, and then uh, I think some of the biggest struggles have been, one, like, not having things in balance uh, I think was our biggest struggle, because in the beginning, we thought we were all about, like, hey, let's do the work, let's just, we'll give and give and give and mm -hmm. all get taken care of, and, but it wasn't really getting taken care of, like, there was no balance, like, we weren't, mm -hmm taking anything back in. So it was just like us giving our time. Like we were donating our time. We were working a ridiculous amount of hours every week. Yeah. We didn't set boundaries for ourselves. So like we were all on call and uh, we were burning ourselves out. Yeah. And that, ba that was out of balance. I think we didn't really know how to run a nonprofit. Like we knew you needed a nonprofit to get grants and grants is how you did community work. But we didn't know how, we didn't, we didn't have any grants. Like we didn't weren't doing like we were just yeah we didn't we didn't know how to run it we didn't know how to set up the infrastructure or anything I think one of the biggest changes for us was uh, hooking up with the fourteen forty fund fourteen forty foundation mm. 
Eli and Dina Bond New Sally were our program officers. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually brought us up to their home up in the Catskills. And uh, we sat and talked with them about strategic planning and building a nonprofit, building awesome. infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from then on, like we were like, okay, well now we have the blueprint, like let's mm -hmm. do this. Kind of exponentially grew with our budget, with our programs, with our staff from that point on. So I, I think yeah, just not what we're doing, the balance of energy. Like, yeah, there was just, and I think funding's always an issue. Um, in the nonprofit world, like funders sometimes change what their focus is, or some mm -hmm. funders are still mm -hmm. skeptical about yoga and mindfulness, or mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's, there's always issues. So, I mean, it's, it's always a struggle, but it's one of those things that it keeps you on your toes and doesn't yeah. let you get kind of lackadaisical. Like, you got to kind of stay a couple of steps ahead of the curve. And you had to probably learn the skill of asking for money in a way that, I mean, were you comfortable with that when you started? Not really. And the cool thing yeah. is Atman's our director of development, so he has to do that. <laughs> an, so you don't have to do it, which is good. Yeah, it's all on Atman. <laughs> um, okay, so what's your practice look like now? What is your like daily, do you have any, what's your personal practice like? Um, my personal practice these days is definitely a daily meditation practice. Um, like I can't go, I, I, I don't know, I can't remember the last time I didn't meditate. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I literally meditate every day, even if it's, I'm at work and it's late and, um, I, you know, I, I've missed it in the morning. I'm at the office, I get in a couple hours, I'll stop and I'll go into the conference room and, uh, you know, turn off the light, lock the door and meditate there. Or if like, it's been a long day, I'm about to fall asleep. Like I'll take a nap for an hour and get back up and meditate and then go back to bed. But I, I, don't, I don't miss a day meditating. Um, I do certain mantras that I do every day and uh, some tantra practices I do every day. I'll do my breath work every day. I don't, get to, I don't get to hit the mat as much as I would like or as much as I had time for back in the day. I mean, I do go to the gym and lift not the same as asana, you know what I mean? Or some kriyas. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not the same, but at least it gives me some physical grounding. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always try to get back to the mat as often as I can. It's just hard uh, when with work and I have two sons that uh, I split time with their mom. So with me a week and then they're with her a week, but then the weeks mm -hmm. that they're with me, it's intense because I like to give them my all. So yep. I'll try to practice with them. So that, that at least gets us all three of us on the mat. So yeah. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, I think it, I think one of the things with the practice, with my practice, I had to come to peace with is that, like, the universe is going to dictate what's going on in your life, and you have to adjust your practice to that. And I think for a while I fought it, and I wanted my practice to look a certain way. Yeah. But that was the way it looked when we just started the Holistic Life Foundation. I didn't have kids. Uh, we were only doing a couple programs, and I had hours and hours of free time every day. You know what I mean? I had to adjust my practice to what what's going on right now for Ali. And I think I've done a, a pretty good job of doing that. Yeah. And I think that that's actually like, that's healthy and that's normal. And that was something that I really obviously have learned after having my kids and getting older and my knee, it gets achy and the stuff that sort of happens in life. It's not about rejecting time on the mat or time to sit or just walk in nature, but it's also like that's normal that it's changing and shifting and the practice is actually adjusting it rather than keeping it the same. 
you know, and they like never talked about that in teacher training or, you know, they would, it was a very asana mat based emphasis and sort of not really appreciating the wisdom of having a lifelong practice, you know? Um, do you, so you do practice with your boys or what, how do they respond? How old are they? Uh, my oldest is 12. My youngest is seven. Yep. Uh, my oldest, I've been, we've been meditating together since he was probably three and a half. Mm. And my oldest, I mean, my youngest probably been meditating with him since he was five. Mm -hmm. I think it's just differences in their personality. Like I didn't, I wasn't going to force anything on them. I was going to yep. wait for them to ask the right questions and to be interested. And my youngest, my oldest was just, very cerebral kid, so I think he was ready earlier. Like he was like three, and I'd be on the mat, like doing Sakriya or the Breath of Fire, and he'd be sitting on my lap, like trying to imitate what I was doing, or like I'd be meditating. He start asking me what I was doing, so we started meditating. And my my youngest is more, um, he's really physical kid, so I think mm -hmm. it's easier to get him like on the mat doing some asanas or some kriyas or something, mm -hmm. and then slowly getting to a point where he was like, "Well, oh, can I meditate too?" Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, now the three of us can meditate together. Um, we'll do, we'll definitely do some pranayama together. And uh, when we can, we'll, we'll do, uh, like, they, they actually, so like while I'm making dinner, they'll usually do their, their uh, do their asanas or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So they, they get more mat time than I do, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have more time to play. <laughs> do you, um, uh, what was that? Oh, I just had a question that popped in and that, that was based on that. Um, it's gone. What do you think? Okay. So someone's listening to this and they're like, that sounds wonderful. I'm so glad that he could create this business in this life. That's really helping people or this organization, I should say, actually, rather than business. Um, but that's not for me or that's not, you know, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that. Um, what would you say to someone who knows that they have a fire inside of them that is not currently being used to the level that they want, what recommendations do you have for them? Go do something. Uh, when Op and Andy and I started doing this, we had no clue what we were doing. Uh, <laughs> we, I was an environmental science and policy major. Andy majored in marketing and Op majored in criminology and criminal justice. We had no idea what a nonprofit was, only the fact that we knew that you needed a nonprofit to get grants. And that was how you did community work. So we had no clue what we were doing, but we went out and we just started doing it. Like we didn't let anyone deter us. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what happened, the three of us were there to support each other. And we knew that we were going to stick with this. Like we weren't going to let anything or anyone stop us. And we got our, we got our butts kicked. We got our butts handed to us a lot throughout that process. Like we, we got knocked down a lot and uh, a whole lot, but we got back up every single time. And then we mm -hmm. finally figured it out and we stayed with it. And I think we put a lot of, um, you know what I mean? Like they, in, in, in our practice, like you put your mental energy behind something like, uh, and, it, and, it, and, and, it, and it makes it move forward. But if kind of you go into your light and you put your mental energy behind something, it makes it move forward a little faster. So I think just having that focus and seeing our vision and, and like staying in, our, staying in our light as much as we can, I think helped us get through everything and get to where we wanted to be. But yeah, just, just go out and do something. Even if you're, if you decide to go volunteer at, at local Head Start and teach them some mindfulness practices or go to an elementary school or go to a senior center and teach them yoga. Like, go do something. Like, if you have a desire to help, go help and, and figure out and do as much as you can. 
Yeah, I think I love that in a lot of the wisdom traditions, Native American, and also I know it's in the Jewish tradition too, that there's this story of, you know, being in community, being in your, um, in your little network and someone being sick with depression or anxiety and the sort of wise teacher would come up and say, go help someone, go teach someone something um, to start to help them with their own sort of connection to service and healing. And so I think that oftentimes our mind gets in the way of thinking it needs to look a certain way. And so the idea that it's taking an action in your real life and having it be something that is not um, totally overwhelming is probably really helpful. Um, the question I was going to ask you that slipped my mind was about your meditation practice. What do you do? Are you a TM person? Are you Vipassana? What do you use a mantra, chanting? What's your practice like? Um, so there's, there's two, I have two go-tos. Um, I grew up in, at the church I grew up in. Uh, it was based on uh, Kriya Yoga and um, like uh, teachings and autobiography. You know what I mean? It was a self-realization mm -hmm. fellowship. Mm -hmm. We did um, subjective meditation there, which is more like meditating on like, uh, like your, like you're, you're meditating on yourself, I would say the best way. Mm -hmm. And not your physical self, but your true infinite mm -hmm. bonds. You know what I mean? Like meditating on that and being with that. And then there's a couple of, of meditations. That, and there's another meditation that, that has a mantra in it that, that kind of goes in and out fades in and out with it. But I'd say those are the two forms that I've, that I've, been, I've been working that I, that are my personal practice. That are your personal. Um, yeah. I always like to know what people, because everyone's, when they, you know, we say, oh, I meditate. And then what happens with that in each individual life is so different. So, um, and I have a lot of people in our community who always say, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> so I like to give a variety of ways that you can do it. You know, it's not one way. Yeah, um, you can't do it. You can't do it wrong. Yeah, it's your personal practice. So how the hell are you right. going to do it wrong? Right. Yeah, I'm sure you hear that too, though. Right? People oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are the things you hear over and over that you are reminding people of? Um, I think that you got to love yourself first. Yeah. Uh, People always want people to love everyone else, or love someone else, or love this or love that, or care for this, or have compassion or empathy for, empathy for that. But it's got to start with yourself first. Um, you got to love yourself. You got to have compassion and empathy for yourself first. And then it ripples out from there. I don't think you can genuinely care for someone else if you don't care for yourself. I don't, th I don't think it works that way. I know one of the things our teacher always said was like, you got to see light in yourself before you can see it within someone else first. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much inner critic and criticism and um, perfectionism and judgment and things that are getting in the way. So I think finding your way to the light um, inside, not necessarily always outside, is really a good teaching. Um, okay. So to wrap up, um, most of the people who listen to the podcast are busy professionals who have kids and who deeply care about other humans and are always looking for ways um, to help and serve and connect and really deepen their own practices. So is there anything that comes to mind in terms of how we can help support your work and what you guys are doing? Um, yeah, sign up for our newsletter. You can find out what's going on with us there. Um, making a donation always helps. I mean, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, so we're always looking for donations to help support 
what we're doing. Um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, if you want to come volunteer, mm -hmm. that's always, that's always a help too. All that can be found on our website, mm -hmm. uh, www.hlfinc.org. Um, or just Facebook is another place to find us. Instagram, look up Holistic Life Foundation on Facebook or Instagram. But uh, yeah, our website has a, a ton of information on how you can help. And there's always an ask that we're going through and, and our newsletter is always a good resource. Yeah, and I'll link it in the show notes. And also there's some great videos that you have on the website too that um, I think are great resources to share, to watch yourself, but then also with your families. So it's really important to be sharing um, with our children, with, I'm speaking for myself, um, with my kids, all the different ways that these practices are showing up in schools and with youth and hearing a variety of teachers and practices, the way that they're actually um, uh, being taught in, a different, in, in different neighborhoods, in different schools, with different types of teachers, um, and the connection to the practices that is so um, deeply healing, where the practices are very similar um, and that is a way I feel that we can continue to find the way that we're, that we are all connected rather than separate, especially in a world that feels, that continues to, um, separate, try to separate us all, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, okay. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today and keep up the great work. Say hi to your brothers for me and see you guys in real life soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Take care. All right. Peace. Bye.